How do you measure success in your evangelism? We live in a world that, is me- that measures success by numbers and immediate results. And it, and it can be easy to evaluate our evangelism the same way, by looking at numbers and results. And too often we do that in evangelism. Too often we measure success by how many people make a decision for Christ immediately following the invitation given by the person delivering the message. And when we use this premise, this suggests that somehow the salvation of people belongs in the hands of the one delivering the message. But when, you share the go- but when you share the gospel with someone, what you must know is that the response that you receive from them is completely out of your control because salvation belongs to God. And in no way does man have the strength to pull someone into heaven. In the gospels, Jesus was asked, who can be saved? And his response was, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So the salvation of a soul is a work of God. It is his supernatural work. It is a miracle. God measures your success in evangelism based on your faithfulness in communicating the gospel and not on the immediate results that you receive. What we will see in our text this morning is that God has a purpose in your evangelism beyond saving people. It, it, there's, a, there's a greater purpose in it, even, even than that. And it, and it will be a great encouragement to you. So open with me to the text that was just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we will be looking at verses 14 through 17. And if you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 965. Follow follow along with me as I read verses 14 through 17. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. God uses your witness for Christ to rescue some and to condemn others. God uses your witness for Christ to rescue some and to condemn others. Last week, Pastor Dave preached from Colossians chapter 1 on the preeminence of Christ. And Pastor Dave spoke on the fact that when you share Jesus with someone, you're not imposing your religion on them. You're not saying that this is one of many religions in the world, and I just want you to believe in my religion. What you are saying is, is that the Christian faith is, is the reality of the world we live in. When you read the Bible, this is the world that we are in. And so you're, what you're telling them is that not only do you need this, but every person on the planet needs this. 
You, need, you are a sinner, and you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And your evangelism is one of the ways that God reveals himself to the world. And God is sovereign over your, over your evangelism. He governs it. He controls it. And not only does God reveal himself to the world through your evangelism, he also reveals himself in other ways also. He, he reveals himself through his creation. Everywhere you turn on, the, on this planet that we live in, when you look up at the stars, what you see is a creator. You see a designer behind this work. Also, God reveals himself through his word. He, he reveals himself through the Bible. And 2,000 years ago, he revealed himself through his son, Jesus. And so those are other ways that God makes himself known to the world. But one of the ways that God makes himself known to, to the world is your witness for Christ. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And this is point one. God reveals himself through your, through your cross-bearing example and your proclamation of the gospel. God reveals himself through your cross-bearing example and your proclamation of the gospel. Now, the text this morning, what we're going to see in, in verse 14 is that God reveals himself through your example. And then we're going to see in verse 17 that God reveals himself through, through the communication of the gospel, your proclamation that you speak. Let's first look at verse 14, where the Apostle Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And in order for us to understand what this verse is saying, we must first understand what triumphal procession means. And the commentators point us to the first century Roman world. And, of course, the Roman Empire, they fought many battles. They, they fought many foreign battles. And what they did is that when they defeated foreign armies, what they would do as an act of celebration is that they would bring the captives from these foreign nations and from these foreign armies and they would bring them back to Rome. And, and what they would do is that the generals would march these captives down the road, kind of like a parade, where people would stand on both sides of the road. And what the, general would, what the Roman general would be showing is that he has conquered this foreign captive. And so it was a humiliating thing for a captive, for a captive to be marched down this road. And it showed the power and the strength of, of the general and the Roman army and it showed that the general had conquered this, these people. And the reason that the Apostle Paul gives this picture here in verse 14 is because he is showing that he has been conquered. You know, oftentimes we think that as Christians that we have conquered. You know, and this is true because God has conquered and because we're associated with him, we have conquered too. But that's not the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving here. In this, in this Roman world picture, with the general walking down this road and the captive beside him, he's not the general. He is the captive. He is the one being conquered. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that before his conversion, he was an enemy of God. And, 
And so when Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus road, he was conquered by God. So the moment he believed in Jesus, he was conquered by God. And so when each of you look at your life, for those of you who know Jesus and and you're a Christian and you're walking with Jesus, you can think back to a time when you believed in Jesus. That was the moment when you were conquered by God. Because before that, you were an enemy of God. In your your natural state, you were an enemy of God. And we don't often think of it that way, but this is what he's pointing us to here, is that you are an enemy who conquered. You surrendered to God. And when you are surrendering, you are surrendering to a conqueror who who won the war 2,000 years ago. When, When Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for the sins of anyone who would believe in him, and he was raised to life on the third day, he won the battle. He won the war. And so you're surrendering. And one of my professors told us an interesting story about uh, Japanese soldiers who were still fighting uh, World War II decades after the war had ended. Uh, in 1945, World War II came to an end, and this was, this was the largest war of the 20th century, even, even larger than World War I, and people were f- still finding Japanese soldiers fighting the war in the Pacific on, on different islands. And this was decades after, and the last known Japanese soldier who was found fighting was a, was a man by the name of Hiru Onoda. And this was in 1974. A man found him in the Philippines. And for those of you who are familiar with Japanese military history, uh, they were told that they, they needed to fight to the death. For them to come back alive in defeat would have been a shame to their country. So they, so they would rather die than come back in shame. And the only way they could surrender is if one of their superiors told them that, that they needed to surrender. And so this man actually thought that the war was still going on. And so when this man who found him told him that the war was over, he didn't believe him. And he said that the only way he was going to surrender is if one of his commanding officers told him to surrender. And so the man who found him set him up and found out that, the, that one of his commanding officers was still living, and he told him, the war's over. We lost. The Allies won. You need to surrender. And so in 1974, he surrendered. And for those of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are surrendering to God in a war that was that was won 2,000 years ago. It's, it's a delayed surrender. And so anytime you're calling someone to faith in Christ, what they are doing and what you are doing is surre- you're, you are surrendering to, to the victor. You're surrendering to the conqueror. You're surrendering to God. And this picture of a captive being conquered by God is a picture of weakness. We often like to think of ourselves as strong and powerful. This isn't the picture that Paul is giving. He's saying that Christ, that God in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So, and he's spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And through our weakness, as being people who have been conquered, as being captives, as being slaves of God, God is showing his power through us. So we're not the ones seen as powerful. He is the one seen as powerful. And this is the call that Jesus gives to anyone who will follow him. Luke 9.23 says, if, 
Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So God reveals himself through your cross-bearing example of weakness and suffering. And a fragrance is being sent off through your weaknesses and sufferings. And so you have an odor to you. You smell. And, it, and, it come, and God has this design for you. And so through your weaknesses, what God is making known, the fragrance that, that is being sent off is a fragrance of grace. That this, that this man, that this woman, who was once an enemy of God, has now been conquered by God, and God has shown grace to this enemy. And so the, the, this enemy, who was once hostile toward God, is now his follower. It shows God's glory. So the fragrance that comes off of you is the grace of God. Kent Hughes said that as God led Paul in triumphal procession, the fragrance of God God spread over the ancient world. It could not be shut out. Grace lingered in its train. Even the imperial palace smelled it. You know, the Apostle Paul had quite a reputation in the first century as being an enemy of of the Christian faith, of of the early church. And so when he came to faith in God, the the Romans and the Jews took notice. And what, what, what the smell that came off of Paul was, was one of grace. And so the odor, the fragrance that comes off of you around your coworkers and classmates and family and friends and neighbors is one of grace. It's God's grace toward an enemy of God who has now, who has now become his follower. This means that that God's people smell in a certain way. The odor of God's people is not one of strength and power. It's one of weakness. And church history proves this. All you have to do is look at the suffering of the history of the church. Think of the millions of Christians who have died for their faith. These are people who have given their life over to God and they've submitted their life over to God and God has done with them what he has wanted and God has been glorified through each of their lives. And, and you know what God is doing? He's making himself known through their cross-bearing example. And so, the first way you make yourself known to the world is through the example that you set, through taking up your cross and following him. And the second way you make God known is through your communication of the gospel. Verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. A peddler of God's word, again, we have, this is another picture from the first century that Paul is giving here. A, pe- a peddler is a, was a trader, someone who sold product, but they would do something with their product to make it better than it actually was. So an example would be they would, they would water down their wine in order to, to gain a profit. And so what they did was for their own self-gain. And Paul is saying that when we speak the gospel, we are doing something opposite. Because the people who do that, they don't do it out of sincerity. We do it with a sincere heart. And the most effective evangelism is where you speak the truth in love. You share the gospel with your loved ones because you love them. And there is nothing, and there is nothing in it for you. God reveals himself through your words. And you know what? If, if you just do verse 14... And if you live out the Christian faith, but you never speak about Jesus, then 
the job is not being done because no one will know. Because if you just live out the Christian life and you never speak the gospel, who, who is the one who's getting the glory? It's you. It's not God. But if you live it out and if you speak a good word for Jesus, then, then people, when they see your example, what they see is Jesus and, and they're drawn to him. And this is how God makes himself known. Your proclamation of the gospel sends a fragrance to the world to make him known. You are displaying the God who has conquered. And the God you display wants you to evangelize. He wants you to speak of the offer of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins. He wants you, he wants you to, to speak a good word for Christ. And this salvation only comes through his son. There, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name among heaven by which we must be saved. And he has a purpose in your evangelism, even beyond saving souls. And that brings, and that brings us to point two. Point two, your communication of the gospel pleases God regardless of the response that you have received. Your communication of the gospel pleases God regardless of the, of the response that you receive. So look with me at verses 15 and 16 at our text. The Apostle Paul writes, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Now, through your gospel witness, it is common to feel like a failure if you share Jesus with someone and they reject the offer that you've made. You feel like, okay, I didn't, I didn't accomplish the mission that I set out for here because it, there wasn't a positive result. It's common to feel that way. But what you must know is that God does not see that as a failure because his purposes are being served through it. Look at verse 15. You are sending off the aroma of Christ. This beautiful fragrance is being sent off. And who is it being sent off to? To God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. So that means that every time you share Jesus with someone, the aroma of Christ is going up to God. You are sending a, present, a pleasant fragrance to him when you share the gospel with a loved one. And heaven loves it when you talk about Jesus, no matter what, no matter what the response you receive. And, you know, we, 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 we always talk about that verse where it, where it says, uh, angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents. You know, and that's true. The Bible says that angels do rejoice over one sinner who repents. What this verse is saying is that God rejoices even when you speak the gospel. Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing when, when you realize it? I don't think we often think this way. So we, we, must, we must rejoice that this is the truth. So even if your message, message is rejected, God delights in it. The aroma of your gospel proclamation is pleasing to God regardless of the response that you receive. And verse 16 touches on the two responses that you will receive from people. We see in verse 16, the fragrance that you send off, to, to one group of people, it's death. 
to death. To the other, it's fragrance from life to life. So people will either embrace your message or they will reject it. The message of Christ that you speak to some people, it's music to their ears. It's the most beautiful thing they've, they've ever heard. And these are the people who receive Christ. And they say, okay, I want this, and I'm going to follow him. Now to others, it is very unattractive. They want nothing to do with it. And they see it as death. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And and it's true. When you speak the gospel to some people, they, don't, they want nothing to do with it. And, and, and you've been transformed by God, and, you, and you, you can't see any way possible that this person could not want what has changed your life and what has given you hope and what has given you eternal life. But it's true. And when I was in high school, and back in the days when my, my brother and I were on the cross-country team, our, the team was pretty small, and our coach encouraged us to recruit people uh, some high schoolers to run on the team. And my coach actually made up these shirts that had Uncle Sam on the front, and he's pointing, and he says, I want you for cross country. And for those of you who are familiar with, with the sport, you know, cross country is not an easy sport. Um, running, running in the first place is hard, and then in, in cross country you have all these hills and all the tough terrain. And so when you're recruiting people, this isn't something, this isn't, they're not joining something that's fun and easy, they're joining something that's difficult. And actually, there were teams at this time that made up shirts that said, my sport is your sport's punishment. Uh, because when you think about it, sports, sports like football and basketball and baseball, what do the coaches do when, when the players are doing something wrong or they're not do, doing good enough? They, they have them run laps. And, and so that is the sport that we're offering. And some people, when we offered it to them, you know, they, they, they looked at you like, you're crazy. Like, why in the world would I want to do this for my sport? And it was very unattractive to them. Other people, when you ask them, they saw it value in it. And they were actually drawn to it. Uh, one of my friends who had never run before, he actually, when, when we invited him to join the team, he actually really wanted to do it, to my surprise. Uh, you know, they saw the value in the fitness, and they want to compete, and they love running. So those are the two responses that we received. And, but, so when you share the gospel with someone, you're gonna, these are the two responses. You're going to have one person who loves it, and they want it. And you're going to have the other person who says, I want nothing to do with this. Uh, Pastor Dave and I uh, went to Macedonia back in March, and when, I met a, a, a young man there by the name of Mihailo, and I, and I asked him his story, uh, and, and the Stouts know, know Mihailo very well, and I asked him his story about how he came to faith in Christ, and he said someone told him the gospel, and it was the first time he ever heard about Jesus, and he said it was, it was the most beautiful news he had ever heard. And so when I looked at this verse, the person I thought about was him, because to him, the message of Christ was life. The aroma of Christ was life to Mihailo, and it's life to anybody who embraces Christ as their Lord and Savior. But to others, it's unattractive, and they don't want it. Jesus doesn't seem like a trade-up, he seems like, in fact, he seems like a trade down because the people who don't want it, they're in love with the world. They're in love with their life. They're in love with themselves. And Jesus is just going to take away from everything in, in their life that they already love. Their treasure is not Christ, it's something else. And what the world offers seems far more attractive. 
And so this is what you face in your evangelism. To some people, it will be from life to life. To others, it will be from death to death. And this, this passage describes, in verse 15, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Those who are perishing are those who will never accept Jesus. But God still has a purpose for you to communicate the gospel. And, and you don't know who these people are. You want them to be saved. But, you, but your, your role is to communicate the gospel to them. And your message is death to them. And their road leads to death. And this is a person who continually rejects God. The, the God will send this person to hell. He will judge them. He will punish them for their sin. But those who are being saved are those who will either, will either come to faith in Christ or, or who have already come to faith in Christ and embraced Jesus. And as we look at this verse, it says those who are being saved. And you might wonder, okay, why, is, why does it say being saved? It, it, sounds like, it, it almost sounds like salvation is a process, like, like it's a continuous thing going on here. And we need to understand this because Paul uses the same language in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So we see this language in other places in the Bible. And it, and it doesn't mean that salvation is a process. It's a one-time thing. The moment you believe in Jesus, you're saved. And I, and I like the way that Pastor Dave says it. He says, uh, you were saved, you are saved, and you will be saved. So that means when, you, when your life is over, when you stand before Jesus it will be proven that you, you were a saved person. You are on the road to heaven, and in that day, it will be official. And the one who is already saved loves hearing the gospel. Those who are being saved love hearing the gospel. It never gets old, and the things of God are attractive. And you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I, will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We sang that song today. I will declare the beauty of the Lord. And if you are a saved person, this fragrance is life to life and it's a beautiful thing and you want it. You love spending time with other believers. You love singing worship songs at, at church on Sunday. You love singing worship, worship songs in your car. The things of God are attractive you love reading your Bible. The things of God stir your soul. And so the destiny of people depends on the decision they make with this offer that you make. John 3.36 says, Those who believe in the Son have eternal life. Those who do not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. So there's a lot riding on the offer that you're making to people. And let's close up the text here by looking again at verse 16 where Paul asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? And as I, as I just mentioned, this is, this is a weighty thing that you're doing. This is a tall task. And the answer is that nobody is sufficient for these things. But, but, but it's, it's the call that God has given you. He has given you the responsibility to communicate the gospel to the world. And God has commissioned you he has sent you. Verse 17 says that you are commissioned by God to speak in Christ. And it, it is encouraging to know that God has a purpose in your evangelism beyond the results because this keeps you from being 
discouraged when you feel like you keep striking out and you keep getting rejected. Every time you say a good word about his son to an unbeliever, it delights him. And what you must know, again, as I said in the intro, is that salvation belongs to God. It is a supernatural work. You're, you're the messenger, you're the communicator, and you don't have the, the ability, you don't have the power on your own strength to pull someone into heaven, but God does. And, but he will send you to do that. And that's, that's his role for you. And in order for someone to be saved, the new birth needs to happen. And this is like an internal operation, a, a surgery that takes place within a person that makes them a new creation. And this is, this is the work that God does. But your task is to speak the word of God, to speak the gospel. Romans 10, 17, 17 says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that means that, this means that anybody who has faith in Jesus has heard about him. People need to hear because that's God's way of saving people. And on our wall in Fellowship Hall uh, is written Mark 1.17. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And so the words of Jesus tell us that evangelism is like fishing. You speak the gospel to every unbeliever you know. God has put unbelievers in all paths, in all walks of your life. And the role that he gives you is to cast the line out. And what he does is he is the one who hooks the fish and he reels the fish in. God will save those who are his. And and what he calls you to do is simply to cast the line out, to tell them about Jesus, and he'll do the rest. And this word that you speak about him is of of his son, is, is, is is a delight to him. So this ought to bring us great comfort to know that God is sovereign over our evangelism. The task he gives you is to be f- simply to be faithful to deliver the message. So God uses your witness for Christ to rescue some and to condemn others. God reveals himself through your cross-bearing example and your proclamation of the gospel. Your communication of the gospel pleases God regardless of the response that you receive. Next week, Guy Runkle will look at this uh, from a different angle. Uh, Today we focused on the sovereignty of God in evangelism. Next week, he's going to focus on personal responsibility in evangelism. Let's pray. Father, the task that you call those who were once enemies to you is, is great. And it's humbling that you would give us such a great responsibility. And I pray that we do not take it lightly. I pray that we would feel honored to even have the opportunity to, to speak about your son uh, to a world that is in rebellion to you. Lord, the world we live in is shaking their fist at you. They don't even acknowledge you. And, but you rescue some. And... You have a plan, Lord, and I pray that we would fulfill the purpose that you have for us uh, to speak about your Son with everyone you have put in our path and that we would do our part and that we would, we would be amazed at the work that you do and how many people you reel in, how many people it is that you make your children, that you bring into the kingdom of God. And so I pray that we'd be faithful to do our task. And
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.